to Wendell's World in Sports, the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Download, subscribe, rate, review, and enjoy anywhere you listen to your bevy a podcast. I tackle the topics and games of the NFL, slam dunk the what's happening to the NBA like Roger and Rerun, go after the subject matter in college sports like a drunk freshman, looking to score with young co-eds like my guys on the Georgetown Hoyas, score points and win conference tournaments, and even give my thoughts in the happenings of what's going on in professional wrestling. How can I do all those things? Because I'm better than you, and you know it. Wendell's World in Sports, rip, roaring, ready to entertain and amuse anywhere when you listen to your favorite podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Roy, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the, the world of sports. I'm going to be leaving Major League Baseball alone for this podcast. Not going to be speaking about uh, the strike or the lockout, whatever you want to call it. I'm going to leave Aaron Rodgers and his situation alone. I'm going to be putting in college basketball, the conference championships on the shelf for this podcast, I'm mainly going to be speaking about what is happening in the NBA. I'm going to be concentrating on what is going down in the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference and the NBA with about 17, 18, 19 games to go. Man, what's going to be happening with the Brooklyn Nets? What's going to be going down with the Miami Heat? What's going to be happening with the Milwaukee Bucks? What's going to be taking a toll and taking its turn in terms of some of the upper tier teams in the Eastern Conference. Which team in the Eastern Conference, besides the Brooklyn Nets, is the one team right now, the way they're playing, that nobody wants to play. So I'll be talking about that. I'll be speaking about that situation in the Eastern Conference and then moving over to the Western Conference real quick to end the podcast. I'm going to be hitting on this doggone stuff about the Golden State Warriors, man. What's going on with them? What's happening with that team? LeBron put in, what, 56, somewhere like that on Saturday night. But the Warriors, since the beginning of the year, or more particular, since Draymond Green went down, have been a team that's been faltering. So I'm going to be speaking about that. And the return of the Zion. What does it mean for New Orleans moving forward? And potentially, what does it mean for the NBA in basketball with basketball in New Orleans moving forward? So all of that stuff I'll be speaking about today on the podcast, Wendell's World of Sports with George Truly, Wendell Wallace. So let's get into this, shall we, with about 19... 17, 18, 19 games to go. You take a look at the Eastern Conference right now. If you take a look at some of the records, the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, still the Miami Heat with a 43-22 and 22 record, a team that really hadn't had their full complement of players. If you're speaking about Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry and Bam Adebayo and Tyler Hero missing multitude of games, they have still 
managed to have a record of 43 and 22. The number two seed, the ascending Philadelphia 76ers, they're at 39 and 24. Small sample size, yes, I know, but the 76ers still undefeated with Joel Embiid and James Harden playing together. They're quickly becoming one of, <clears throat> one of the favorites in the Eastern Conference, the number three seed, the defending champions, Milwaukee Bucks. I guess you could say a team that's flying a little bit under the radar. Winners of four straight had a nice victory in the NBA Finals rematch with the Phoenix Suns earlier today. I'm recording this late on a Sunday night, but uh, they had a nice victory over Phoenix. Chris Middleton going for 44 points and earlier this week beating the Chicago Bulls on the road and beating the Miami Heat. So without Brooke Lopez, we don't know when he's coming back. We don't know if he's coming back. And with the weakness at the shooting guard, Giannis is playing at an MVP level. Drew Holiday has been playing some really good basketball. So Milwaukee looks poised to be true threats to defend their NBA championship. Again, they're the number three seed right now currently with a 40 and 25 record the number four seed in the eastern conference the chicago bulls faltering losers of four straight health and injury man that's the situation with chicago 39 and 25 defense falling apart without alex caruso and lonzo ball injuries and little nicks and hurties to uh zach levine has um faltered the chicago bulls right now we'll see if they can rebound before the end of the season the number five seed, the one team that many people don't want to face in the Eastern Conference, the Boston Celtics, winners of 14 of their last 16. The game today between the Celtics and the Brooklyn Nets, the show that both Kevin Durant and more importantly and most impressively, Jason Tatum put on was absolutely outstanding. I'll get into that, but they're right now the number five seed, 39 and 27. Number six seed, the Cleveland Cavaliers. 10 games over 537 and 27. And then we got the number seven seed, Toronto Raptors at 34 and 29. Charlotte Hornets, 32 and 33. The Brooklyn Nets. The Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, half man, half sitting out. Brooklyn Nets, 32 and 33, occupying the number nine seed. And then we have the Atlanta Hawks, the number 10 seed, 31 and 32, as part of that playing game with the seventh, eighth, ninth and 10th seed so again toronto charlotte brooklyn and atlanta the number 11 seed my washington wizards sitting at 28 and 34 even though christoph porzingis came back interesting the number 12 seed new york next 25 and 39 indiana detroit and orlando round out the bottom three for the eastern conference so when you take a look at what's going down you take a look at some of the storylines of this uh past week and the nba is focusing on the eastern conference man you see some pretty interesting stuff going on right there when you take a look at re the return of kevin durant after missing 21 games from an injury he suffered against the new orleans pelicans on January 15th, his first game back was this past Thursday against the Miami Heat, a 113-107 loss. Uh, the Bayou for Miami scored 30 points. Tyler Hero came off the bench to score 27, but uh, you're a glass-half-full guy. With the Brooklyn Nets playing at home, that means Kyrie wasn't playing, but the first game back in 21 games for Kevin Durant. Very nice, very nice game indeed. Scored 31 points on 10 of 21 shooting, 2 of 7 from the three-point line, four rebounds, four assists, played 35 minutes, 
really doesn't matter in terms of how long Kevin Durant is out, if it's for an entire year, if it's for half a season, missing a couple of games. Kevin Durant always, when he returned from injury, shows very little rust and against the Miami Heat on Thursday, didn't show too much rust at all. And then in this game, a little bit earlier today against the Boston Celtics, he was marvelous, simply marvelous, 37 points. Six rebounds, eight assists, two block shots. Yeah, in the fourth quarter, he was outscored and outplayed down the stretch by Jason Tatum. But uh, yet to be encouraged, the fact that Kevin Durant, who I think many people forget how devastating he is in terms of just being a basketball player. I mean, because he missed so much time or had a stretch during the season where he missed about 20, 21 games, we forget, man, that Kevin Durant, at the beginning of the season, before he got hurt, was playing at an MVP level. And people want to talk about Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid and and others and Giannis and such who are putting up great seasons, who are pulling up MVP-type seasons. But, you know, moving into the playoffs, how many championships has Joel Embiid won? How many conference finals and how many NBA finals has Nikola Jokic been to? And yes, Giannis, fabulous, unbelievable, great performance from the... NBA's playoffs last season in Game 6 against the Phoenix Suns, 50 points, 14 rebounds, 17 of 19 for the free throw line. But I'm still, despite the greatness of Giannis, undeniable greatness, if there's a playoff series and I'm picking players from Milwaukee in, in Brooklyn, my number one pick is still going to be Kevin Durant. And in any series that we're speaking about, Kevin Durant, without question, arguably is the best player in that series and one of the few players in the NBA who can still put a team on his back and do some great, great things with it through the playoff season. So, you know, glass half full, the fact that Kevin Durant coming back from that injury, still playing at a high level, and as soon as he gets more games under his belt, he's only going to get better. It has to be encouraging for the Brooklyn Nets moving forward. If you're a glass half empty guy, and you take a look at what's going down with all of the nonsense. You have to say that, my goodness gracious, we somehow, someway have to get Ben Simmons back on this team. Whether the laws in New York, uh, you know, make it so Kyrie Irving can play games at home and he could become a full-time employee playing basketball with the Brooklyn Nets, no matter how great and how much better Kevin Durant can get as he continues to get games under his belt, before the playoffs start, I think that, man, they need Ben Simmons. If they don't have Ben Simmons this season, they're not winning a championship this season. I already talked about, you know, what Kevin Durant can do in terms of putting a team on his back and leading them to a championship. It's not going to happen without Ben Simmons. It's not going to happen without Ben Simmons. And it's not going to happen with a return in the player of Ben Simmons being 50% of what he was, 60% of what he was when you're speaking about the teams that the Brooklyn Nets are going to have to be facing in the playoffs, whether it be the Jimmy Butler-led Miami Heat, whether it's going to be the Giannis Inadidacupo-led Milwaukee Bucks, whether it's going to be the James Harden or Joel Embiid-led Philadelphia 76ers, whether it's going to be the Jason Tatum-led Boston Celtics, whether we're speaking about those type of teams, man. You're going to need Ben Simmons. You're going to need the defensive star of Ben Simmons. You're going to need that two-way player of Ben Simmons. You're going to need him. Look, Ben Simmons is not going to get back to 100% this season, both physically or mentally. You can't sit out the amount of time that Ben Simmons did and then ask him to come back and be that guy who was an all-NBA performer in terms of the defense is concerned, an all-star 
uh, performer. We, we, we're not, it would be unrealistic for the fans of Brooklyn, for the organization of Brooklyn, for the coaches of Brooklyn, and even his teammates, for him to be that guy that quickly. It's not going to be happening. But if we could somehow, some way, if you're a Brooklyn Nets fan or a teammate of his, get him to where he's 70, 75% of what he was by the time the playoffs hit, so he could just be a compliment, be a strong role player for Kyrie and KD, which, if you think about it, the optimum role that he has with the Nets, not just this year, but also moving forward, is going to be that. He's not going to be anyone's Robin to Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving's Batman. We, he, we, he's already shown that he's not that type of guy. But I think as a third wheel, we always speak about teams winning championships. You have the franchise player, you have the all-star player, then you, or you have the franchise player, the superstar player, the all-NBA top eight to nine to ten player, and then you have that all-star player. KD is that franchise player, superstar player. Kyrie Irving is that all-NBA type of player. And then you have Ben Simmons, who can be that all-star type of player. That would work in perfectly for what the Brooklyn Nets do and for the skill set that Ben Simmons can bring to the team for Brooklyn moving forward. Who's going to guard Jimmy Butler for the Brooklyn Nets, if not Ben Simmons? Who's going to be guarding Giannis, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday throughout a seven-game playoff series if it's not going to be Ben Simmons and be effective? Who's going to be that guy that's going to try to slow down Jason Tatum so he doesn't put up another 50-plus against the Brooklyn Nets or have an impact of what he did against Brooklyn on Sunday, speaking of Jason Tatum. Who's going to be the guy that's going to be responsible to slow down those type of scoring machines? It's going to be Ben Simmons for the Brooklyn Nets. So they need him. They absolutely need him because they already have a hole at the center position. So you're already scratching your head about what's going to be happening when they face, if they face the Philadelphia 76ers and Joel Embiid in the playoffs. I guess we'll take a gander. We'll take a look at that coming up this Thursday when Brooklyn goes down I-95 to play the to play the um, Philadelphia 76ers with both James Harden and Joel Embiid in the lineup. But, you know, everything should be centered around, look, we got KD back. We know that we're good with him. Kyrie, the whole situation about whether he's going to be playing at home or not, we don't know. That's to be determined. But, man, we need to find out exactly what's happening with Ben Simmons because if Ben Simmons is going to come back, if he's going to be rushed back because they need him to guard these folks and he's not anywhere both physically and mentally able to do what he needs to do, I don't give a damn if Kyrie plays both at home and on the road. I don't care how great Kevin Durant is. The ceiling is not NBA championship if they don't have Ben Simmons. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, in an interview, speaking about when exactly is Simmons going to return, what's the update with Ben Simmons? In an interview with Yes Network's Michael Grady on Thursday, uh, Sean Marks, the Brooklyn Nets general manager, said that they hope that he'll be able to begin ramping up his return-to-play program by the end of this upcoming week. In fact, this is what Sean Marks had to say about that. Sean, what's the latest on Ben Simmons and when he could possibly return to the floor? Yeah, unfortunately, his uh, back stiffness has delayed his ability to get on the court with, with his teammates. So he's, he's been rehabbing the, this last sort of week to 10 days. And then now he'll progress throughout this week with some individual workout. Hopefully by the end of next week, he's getting more into the team environment. 
and then we can really ramp up and, and start him getting into sort of game shape and so forth. So, although there's no real timetable, um, you know, we'll just we've got to see it, take it day by day, and see how he responds. And hopefully, sooner sooner the better. We need to again get this group together and 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 get minutes together on the court. So you could tell from the audio what Marks was talking about when he was speaking about the return of Simmons. Basically, his um, his back stiffness has delayed his return from practicing and playing with his teammates. He's been going through rehab for the past 10 days, then individual workouts, team environment will begin sometime next week. Then there's no timetable. Most importantly, there's no timetable for his return. Basically, like the rest of this world, we're taking things day by day. So encouraging no still in the darks yes so look man in general the Nets protocol is before a player can be cleared to play he's gonna have to complete three high intensity workouts full contact five on five scrimmages and Ben Simmons is not even close to uh, doing that just yet so if you're taking a look at um, when his return is going to be based on Marx's comments you're looking at somewhere around this next Sunday March 13th against the New York Knicks. That's the absolute earliest they're talking about Simmons could return. And even that being, you know, unrealistically optimistic. So, look, everybody was hoping to get Simmons back on the floor for the matchup on Thursday against the Philadelphia 76ers. That would have been quite a tasty treat to uh, take a look at and, and watch. But, man, you know what? When you take a look at what was going to be happening and some of the takeaways that could have been made from that game, both from a short-term and long-term evaluation of this season, not speaking about three or four or five years down the road in terms of who won this trade and who did wit and who did what in terms of Philadelphia and James Harden and Brooklyn with Ben Simmons. When you take a look at what went down, what was going to be going down, the possibilities of what's going to be going down for the season. That game on Thursday between Philadelphia and Brooklyn with Ben Simmons back in the lineup, man, it would have told us a lot. But even without it, I mean, let's just say, for instance, we're taking a look at this game, Philadelphia and Philadelphia and Brooklyn. And let's just say, for instance, that Philadelphia just goes in there or, you know, goes onto their home court and just blows out the Brooklyn Nets with Kevin Durant with Kyrie Irving. What does that mean? What does this game mean short-term and long-term in terms of the confidence, in terms of the projection, in terms of everything concerning what could possibly be a playoff matchup between those two teams? If, again, on Thursday, Philadelphia goes ahead and blows out Brooklyn. On the other hand, let's say Brooklyn goes on the uh, home floor and beats the 76ers without Ben Simmons. What is that going to mean for them moving forward in terms of their confidence, in terms of the knowledge that, you know what, we can beat the 76ers on their home floor with or without Ben Simmons moving forward. So that would be a great thing to uh, figure out if you're the uh, Brooklyn Nets, especially if the laws in New York remain the same. With 18 games left to go for Brooklyn, Kyrie Irving only has six more games to play for the Nets before they hit the playoffs. Just speaking about this upcoming game against Philadelphia, then Memphis on the 23rd and Atlanta on April the 2nd, that's the only playoff teams that Kyrie is going to be going against, contending team teams that he's going to be going against unless New York City changes its laws. So, I mean, this could be a good measuring stick moving forward because as of right now, currently, look, Miami, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, Boston, Cleveland, they're all playing better basketball currently than the Brooklyn Nets. 
So, look, the Heat are 8-2 in their last 10. They beat Philadelphia at home 99-82. Milwaukee, as I mentioned before, has won four games in a row. They defeated Miami and Chicago this past week and Phoenix on Sunday. Yes, I know Phoenix was without Chris Paul, and I know they were without Devin Booker, but still a win in a heightened game in terms of this NBA Finals rematch is always something to hang your hat on. Philadelphia is 7-3 in their last 10 games. Have, haven't lost a game with James Harden and Joel Embiid on the floor. Yes, I understand. Sample size. Cleveland isn't going anywhere. As I mentioned before, they're 10 games above, above 500. They beat, uh, they beat Toronto just a couple of hours ago. So, you know, they're back to doing some good things. Evan Mobley had a great game, 20 points and 17 rebounds. Kevin Love has adjusted well to uh, coming off the bench. The only team that I'm a little bit concerned about, of course, in the Eastern Conference it is Chicago Bulls. The Bulls right now, as I mentioned before, losers of four straight. And also, as I mentioned before, man, it's all about health and players being healthy and ready, and ready to go. Alex Caruso, Alonzo Ball, not able to uh, get back and return yet when you're speaking about, you know, a situation where, look, we don't know when Alex Caruso is going to be back. We don't know when Lonzo Ball is going to be back. Both Ball and Patrick Williams did individual non-contact work the other day. Billy Donovan said that Caruso is going to need to be checked out by a doctor again before he's cleared just for contact. And that date has not been set. We're, we're speaking about just contact. We're not even speaking about the opportunity to get in there and start playing basketball again. So, you know, right now, Zach Levine is nursing a uh, sore left knee before the All-Star break. This was a guy who uh, had to go out to California and have his knee drained, his left knee drained and received cortisone shots. Uh, so, you know, this is a situation where Chicago, I mean, DeMar DeRozan playing at an MVP level and playing at an all-NBA level, but, you know, his impact for the Bulls in terms of what they're doing against some of the top elite teams in the NBA is not, uh, is not uh, fading over. When you speak about, you know, the Bulls, are 2-14 and 14 against teams with a 600 record or winning percentage. They haven't beat any of the top three teams in Miami, Philadelphia, and Milwaukee. Uh, Nikola Vucevic is still dealing with tightness in his right hamstring. You're speaking about the uh, game against Philadelphia being huge for them in terms of what's going to be their gauge because they haven't beaten Philadelphia yet. In fact, they're 0-3 against Philadelphia, and they average amount of um, their average margin of loss has been nine points so if I'm a fan of Chicago I'm a little bit worried and that leads us to the Boston Celtics in terms of the other end of the spectrum about what those guys are doing man Jason Tatum again has been absolutely unbelievable 54 points 16 of 30 shooting on Sunday against the uh, Brooklyn Nets Emeka Yudoka has turned that team around. There's an edge to him. There's a toughness to him. There's a grittiness to him. There's a type of vibe that's positive with the Boston Celtics. They're playing defense. Robert Williams is a menace back there grabbing rebounds, being a lob finisher at the rim, taking care of the rebounds, taking care of the back end of the defense. Their defense has been much better. The acquisition of Al Horford has really, again, improved their defense. I think have improved the stabilization of what that team was all about in terms of bringing a professional, mature presence to that locker room. The accountability, I think that Brad Stevens was lacking with some of the players, namely guys such as Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I think that has been fixed. I thought that the seeds for that were planted very well 
by Yudoka earlier in the season when, hey man, that guy wasn't uh, ashamed and he wasn't shy and he wasn't embarrassed and he wasn't, uh, you know, hesitant about coming out in the press conferences after games and basically just blasting on people about they need to do this, they need to do that, they need to do better with this, they need to do better with that. And a team, which I think would have fractured, would not have responded to that type of criticism from someone like a Brad Stevens, I think has done well coming with Yudoka, already having relationships because of USA Basketball before he became the coach of the Boston Celtics. He had relationships with Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart and Jason Tatum. Took him a little while to uh, really receive the full message of what Yudoka was putting down. But now since they've got their defense together, I thought that the uh, deletion or the subtraction of Dennis Schroeder and others, the acquisition of, um, of um, oh my goodness, uh, of the, the, the white kid from uh, Colorado played with the, um, played with the, um, San Antonio Spurs, I think that he's been a really good asset. Yudoka, who was an assistant in San Antonio when uh, he was a player there. He, there's a trust, there's a familiarity, there's a relationship there that's positive. I think the Boston Celtics, man, and once Jalen Brown re fully recovers from his uh, ankle sprain that he suffered against the Memphis Grizzlies, as I mentioned before, this is the team in Boston that can make some noise. If Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum, of course, is going to be the key. If he can I'm not asking that man to go out and score 54 points and have the performance that he did against the uh, Brooklyn Nets. That would be quite unrealistic. But, man, this is a guy, as I mentioned before, 54 points, 16 of 30 from the field, 8 of 15 from the three-point line. In fact, against Brooklyn, the entire Boston Celtics team shot well from the three-point range. 14 of 17 from the free-throw line, grabbing five rebounds, handing out three assists. One of the things that would just drive Boston Celtics uh, fans nuts when it came to Jason Tatum was his, I don't know, maybe his fall-in-love step-back, side-step, three-point shot that he would more, mainly take from the corners and that getting to the free-throw line enough now He's really become a lot more aggressive, attacking the rim, getting to the free throw line, putting the team in foul trouble, putting the best players in foul trouble, and he's going to be a problem. A guy who's already had, speaking of Taylor, speaking of Brown, speaking of Spart, speaking about that nucleus of the Boston Celtics, which they're going to be counting on. I mean, this is a team that has been to a Game 7. This is a team that's, you know, been through the ups and downs of playoff basketball. This is a team, even though... Both Brown and Tatum are relatively young. Marcus Smart and such being 28 years old. This is a team that has already had a multitude of experiences in the playoffs. Some good, some bad. That's going to help them when they go up against a team like, oh, I don't know, maybe a team like the Cleveland Cavaliers who don't have that experience. A team like the Chicago Bulls right now who are struggling. And, and if you take a look at that team, Outside of Caruso, which one of these guys really have playoff experience that they can hang their hat on? I mean, I think the trials and tribulations of past playoff experiences is going to uh, be a great plus for the Boston Celtics as they move forward. Again, once again, Al Horford, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown having that uh, having that playoff experience. So. Man, you take a look at what's happening in the Eastern Conference. You take a look at what's going down in the Eastern Conference. Again, with 16, 17, 18 games left to go, you take a look at uh, the Miami Heat. There's room for improvement. You take a look 
at the Milwaukee Bucks with the possible return of uh, Brooke Lopez, there's room for improvement. The ascension of the Boston Celtics still having room for improvement. You take a look at the continuing relationship that's being developed with the Philadelphia 76ers with James Harden and Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris and Matisse Thibel. That's a team that still has room to grow on. That's a team in Philadelphia which are going to be trying to exercise ghosts, not just from what happened this uh, past playoff season against the Atlanta Hawks in the semifinals of the Eastern Conference, but when you think about the individual games or the individual players that are looking to rewrite their history, if you're speaking about James Harden and, and, and the coaching of Doc Rivers, a man who won a championship with the Boston Celtics, but yet you could say his time with the Los Angeles Clippers, whether it be with Blake Griffin and CP3 or whether it be the second incarnation of the Clippers with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard underachieving once they hit the playoff season. Doc Rivers has a lot to prove in terms of, you know, his mantle, in terms of his legacy of being a coach. So there's a lot of things to, uh, there's a lot of storylines, there's a lot of interesting things that go beyond just, you know, what's going to be happening with Ben Simmons, what's going to be happening with Ben Simmons and his return to the Brooklyn Nets and Again, you can go straight down the line of the true contenders. There's about four or five contenders in the Eastern Conference as we sit right now who have a strong, legitimate chance of winning this conference and getting to the NBA Finals when you're speaking about the Miami Heat, when you're speaking about the Milwaukee Bucks, when you're speaking about the Philadelphia 76ers and the Boston Celtics and such, and the most dangerous Brooklyn Nets. Let's just say, for instance, that Brooklyn is the number eight seed going up against Miami, the number one seed in the opening round of the NBA playoffs in the Eastern Conference. How tasty, how juicy, how delicious is that going to be to sink your teeth in to see what happens with that series? So you're speaking about the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, everybody's, every not everybody, but you know, there's some people who might state that, you know what, it was sort of an asterisk type of a deal with the Milwaukee Bucks because if it wasn't for Kevin Durant and his three-point shot only being a two-point shot, and James Harden not being even close to 100%, and you're taking a look at the Atlanta Hawks being the opponent for the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Championships last season and everything that went down in Philadelphia. So there, there, there's, there's always something, and there's something that maybe Milwaukee had to prove to say that, you know what, we weren't the beneficiary of good luck and injuries and other such for us to win a championship. No, we earn this bad boy, and we're going to show you again that we're going to earn this bad boy. And as I mentioned before, yeah, we speak about what's going on and the drama that's happening and the uncertainty that's happening with the Brooklyn Nets, and we speak about the relationship growing between James Harden and Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers, and we might kind of speak a little bit about the Miami Heat, and of course we're going to be speaking about the ascending Boston Celtics. But no one's speaking about the Milwaukee Bucks for the most part. I don't know if because they're not the sexiest type of team. I don't know if they're going to be starting off to be this generation's San Antonio Spurs in terms of what team do you not want to see? What's the least most the, the least attractive team as far as storylines, as far as uh, attention grabbing and getting? Milwaukee is not in New York City. Milwaukee's not in Chicago, Illinois. Milwaukee is not that sexy location. That team doesn't have any knuckleheads. There's no drama. There's none of that nonsense happening in Milwaukee that 
people can sink their teeth into. In fact, the biggest drama that's happening in Milwaukee or in the Milwaukee, Wisconsin area sports-wise is whether Aaron Rodgers is going to come back to the Packers or not. That's dwarfing. That news is dwarfing what's happening with the Milwaukee Bucks right now. So, look, sliding under the radar out of people's consciousness for the most part on the Milwaukee Bucks. Would it surprise you? Would it surprise me? Would it surprise anybody who knows anything about basketball and the NBA if the Milwaukee Bucks defended their Eastern Conference Championship and got into the NBA Finals, especially in the way now that Drew Holiday and Giannis has been playing and the way that Chris Middleton played on Sunday against the um, Phoenix Suns? No, it wouldn't. So it's a tight race. It's an interesting race. It's going to be a race that everyone, everyone should be interested in. I cannot wait for the playoffs to start in the Eastern Conference. I can't wait to see what's going down in the final weeks of the regular season with the Eastern Conference. It's going to be playoff type intensity type of basketball. Questions will be answered. We'll get a clearer picture. The NBA basketball basketball is uh, still fantastic, man. And we're going to see how fantastic it is coming down the stretch, especially in the Eastern Conference. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us, speaking about what is happening, what is going down in the NBA, we spoke about the Eastern Conference, now let's move over to the Western Conference, I think this year that the Eastern Conference is more competitive and better than the Western Conference, but uh, there's still a lot of things to speak about when you're speaking about the squads out West, um, the number one seed, best record in the NBA still belongs to the Phoenix Suns, they still sit atop of the Western Conference standings with a 51-13 and 13 record. The number two seed, faltering, flailing Golden State Warriors. We'll speak about them in a second. Losers of four straight. They're at 43-21 and 21, right behind them. Just a few percentage points behind them. The Memphis Grizzlies, they're sitting at 44 and 22, the Utah Jazz. Many people thought that, you know, this situation with Utah, we don't know about this. The uh, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell are at each other's throats and they're not getting along and this is going to be the end of things. Well, over the last 10, they're 8-2 and two, and they sit in fourth place with a 40-23 and 23 record, still in shouting distance of Memphis and Golden State. The surging Dallas Mavericks. Jason Kidd getting it done. Luka Dantich, I mean, has to be, right? As far as February, has to be one of the true contenders for best player of the month. They're sitting in fifth place with a 39-25 and 25 record. They're another team that's won four straight games, 8-2 and two in their last 10. The Denver Nuggets, Nikola Jokic going bananas the other night with an unbelievable triple-double against the uh, New Orleans Pelicans, 38-26. and 26. 
They've won two in a row in eight and two of their last ten. They're in sixth place. The seven seeded Minnesota Timberwolves, thirty six and twenty nine. Um, the number eight seeded Los Angeles Clippers, thirty four and thirty two. Lo- tough loss uh, against the New York Knicks a couple of hours ago. The number nine seeded Los Angeles Lakers. LeBron James went nuts against the Golden State Warriors. Had fifty six points, fifty four points. Still. People out there looking for any type of heartbeat whatsoever with the Los Angeles Lakers. When they're going to be able to turn it around? When are they going to be able to get it done? If there any hope? If there any chance? Hate doing the old game the game situation in terms of if they play like they did against the New Orleans Pelicans, they're a joke. And if they played like they did against the Golden State Warriors, that hold hold on for a second. Now everybody's speaking about the return of Anthony Davis. The return of Anthony Davis. That's what's going to save the Lakers. The return of Anthony Davis. Do you know what are going to be the repercussions of LeBron doing what he did against Golden State on Saturday night? When I say repercussions, I'm talking about physical repercussions. The amount of effort that he put in to will the Lakers to win that game. And look, Carmelo hit them big threes. Malik Monk played with passion and intensity and a uh, effervescence that uh, hadn't been seen by a multitude of Lakers and a multitude of games, especially after this All-Star break. I thought that he played with passion and I thought that he played well and I thought he was one of the main instruments in the Lakers turning around the deficit that they had against the Warriors and coming out victorious. But, man, you take a look at the amount of energy, physical exertion, that LeBron James had to uh, give for the Lakers to win that game. This is not the LeBron James that I keep telling people, and as you know, man, this ain't the LeBron James of 2012. This ain't the LeBron James of 2017. This is not the young spry or middle-aged or in his physical prime LeBron James. Man, he can't be doing those type of things on an everyday basis. Something tells me, man, that this effort by LeBron is going to affect not just him, but this Lakers squad for maybe, I don't know, the next the next week or so, somewhere around there with that. The man just can't do that anymore. And if you need LeBron James to go nuts like that for the Lakers to win the basketball team, Golden State, one of the premier teams record-wise in the Western Conference, but have been struggling lately. If you're going to need LeBron James to do something like that to keep the Lakers afloat, you're going to drown because that's not going to be happening. And the return of AD is not going to be the elixir to get the Lakers to where they want to go. Again, the expectations for LA was what? Especially when they made their trade to get, Rus- to get Russell Westbrook. It was for the Los Angeles Lakers to be true contenders for the NBA championship. Their goal wasn't to make it into the playoffs. Their goal was to win a championship. So already, this has been a very underwhelming and disappointing and frustrating season for the Lakers. Because to get into the playoffs, and look, we don't know what the prognosis is for Chris Paul suffering that hand injury, which is going to keep him out for the rest of the season. And we don't know what the status is going to be early in the playoffs. Devin Booker dealing with the COVID protocol, so he'll be back, roaring, ready to go. But to make that engine run for the Phoenix Suns is Chris Paul. 
So, yes, there could be a situation where, hey, you know, guess what? The Warriors, we don't know if they're going to get back. We don't we don't know if the Warriors are going to get their mojo back. I'll be discussing them in just a quick second. You know, the, the, the Memphis Grizzlies, neophytes, when it comes to NBA playoff experience, still babies, despite the run that they gave the Utah Jazz. Utah, are they a regular season juggernaut and paper contenders when it comes to the playoffs? Is that team built for the regular season and not the playoffs? It's a lot of questions which the Utah Jazz need to be answered, that the, the Utah Jazz need to answer that they go into the playoffs. All of these teams that I'm talking about, you know, and you set them up against possible matchups against the Los Angeles Lakers, people take a look at that. People take a look at those questions and say, hey, you know what? You get Anthony Davis, Malik Monk, Carmelo Anthony, blah, blah, blah. Taylor Horton Tucker's been playing a little bit better in the last couple of games. You never know. You never know. You never know. Yes, I do know. Yes, I do know. Because LeBron doesn't have to score 50 every single game, especially if AD returns for them to win basketball games and series. But damn, he's going to have to put in the physical exertion to get them there. And how much if how much is he going to have left in the tank if he's going to have to do that just to ensure that the Lakers just get in an opportunity to play in the play-in game? So moving forward, we don't know. We don't know exactly what's going to be happening with the Los Angeles Lakers. But my my diatribe is all to say that right now they're currently the ninth seed with a 28-35 and 35 record. And don't sleep on the New Orleans Pelicans. Do not sleep on the New Orleans Pelicans. This is not your beginning of the season New Orleans Pelicans. This is a team where they made some moves to get themselves in position to get in the playoffs and do some work. The acquisition of C.J. McCollum has been a, a big boost to the... Pelicans, Willie Green, the head coach, the new head coach, has uh, done an excellent job after New Orleans started the season like 1-13 or something like that. And this is all surrounding Zion Williams, the enigma known as Zion Williams. When is he going to play? When is he going to return? Zion Williamson, I might add. When is he going to play? When is he going to return? We don't know what the end date, what the start date, what does it mean for the Pelicans moving forward? All of this drama that could have been centered around Zion Williamson in terms of does he still want to play in New Orleans? Are the Pelicans going to be able or want to offer him the max deal? What does it mean for the Pelicans if they offer Zion Williamson the max deal? The fact that his relationship with David Griffin, Griffin is not the best, him in the, um, him in the camp of uh, Zion Williamson. So all of these things that were swirling around the New Orleans Pelicans and for them to go ahead and still play at the level that they're playing at right now to put themselves in a position to play themselves into the playoff or at least into the playoff games has been remarkable, especially when you remember where they started off the season. The number 11 seed right now with a record of 25 and 38, the Portland Trailblazers. Then you've got the San Antonio Spurs at 24 and 40, the Sacramento Kings at 24 and 42. You've got the Oklahoma City Thunder at 20 and 44. And then rounding out the situation down below, the Houston Rockets, who are actually playing a little bit better basketball. Uh, they're sitting there at 16 and 48. And when I say playing a little bit better basketball, a uh, good win against the Memphis Grizzlies the other day. But um, speaking about teams that we should be concentrating on in terms of having impact on the rest of the regular season, where their seeding's going to be, what they're going to be doing in the playoffs, it's all about the Golden State Warriors, man. What 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 is going on? What is happening with the Golden State Warriors? We, we could be sitting here and we could be having arguments 
And I don't know what your definition of an MVP is. There's been many different definitions of what an MVP should be. Is it the best player on the best team? Is it the best player on the court, the most talented player on the court, the one who's putting up the best numbers? What exactly is an MVP? There's a multitude of definitions that could be applied, and it could be uh, respectable in terms of what you consider to be an MVP. And we speak about Giannis, and we speak about Joel, and we speak about KD, we speak about John Morant. Recently, we speak about Jason Tatum. We speak about the potentials of a Luka Doncic. We speak about a Nikola Jokic. All of those, whatever you want to say in terms of what your definition of an MVP is, Steph Curry and such, it can be applied, it can be applicable, and it can be something where, yeah, I can see where you're coming from. But man, if you're talking about the MVP in certain situations, in terms of what is his value to his team, in terms of winning, Draymond Green, I think we've seen right now. I'm not saying that he's more important than Steph Curry and those type of things, but man, the loss of Draymond Green, not just defensively, but also offensively, has been has been felt uh, strongly when you're speaking about what's going on with the Golden State Warriors, a team that was 28-6 and six when Green was playing this season, a winning percentage of 83%. Ever since that he has left, this team has plummeted. This team has gone down. Now, there's some situations where, you know, the return of Draymond, he's speaking about sometime around March 14th, this next Monday, against the Washington Wizards is going to be uh, his return date. But, man, when you take a look at what Draymond Green does, not just on the defensive end, but also from an offensive standpoint, how well that he runs the offense, the well that he orchestrates the offense. You know, we, we speak about, or people speak about, he's the heart and soul of this team, and what does that mean, and what's your definition of that, and exactly what are you talking about? I don't think there's a better explanation. I don't think that there's a better example of what a quote-unquote heart and soul of a team is all about when you're speaking about what Draymond Green brings, not just, as I mentioned before, from the offensive standpoint, the little things in terms of the hockey assist to get Clay, Clay and Steph wide-open looks. You know, the ability to rebound and bring the ball up, the ability to initiate the offense from about 21, 22 feet away from the basket, even though he's not listed as a quote-unquote natural uh, prototypical point guard. The fact that what he can do from an individual and steam team standpoint as far as defense is concerned, knowing your rotations, knowing your assignments, being able to guard anyone on the floor from a shooting guard all the way to a post player, you know, the ability for Draymond to, uh, you know, be that leader on the floor, you know, the instructions that he gives from an offensive and defensive standpoint, the way that he's helped a Jordan Poole, the way that he can help another Porter, the way that he can help um, some of the young cats, a uh, 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 Moody, uh, Jonathan Kaminga, the, the, his importance on the floor to be able to get them to have the best opportunities to become successful. That's all the things that led the Golden State Warriors at one time to be overwhelming favorites to compete for a championship. Now you take a look at the absence of Draymond Green. You take a look at how the offense has been I don't know, kind of one-dimensional and ineffective and inconsistent when you're speaking about what's been going down with the Golden State Warriors. You're taking a look at the dip in play, both from an offensive and defensive standpoint, from someone like a Clay Thompson, who, I mean, should we really be surprised that Clay Thompson, after missing, oh, I don't know, 
two years, wasn't able to keep up that type of uh, play, that level of play and consistency from what she came back from, that Clay Thompson, as far as being a two-way player, is not the same guy that he was before he suffered those injuries, before he tore his Achilles, before he tore his ACL? Of course not. Of course Clay was going to suffer, uh, was going to come back down to earth in terms of what he could provide the Golden State Warriors. I still think Clay overall has had a, a, a very positive, very uh, good season for, again, what he came back from, missing two and a half years or two and a half seasons of playing basketball. But man, they made Draymond Green. And especially, we speak about in the Eastern Conference, we're speaking about the scorers, mainly from the perimeter, mainly from the small forward shooting guard position. When you're speaking about a Jimmy Butler in Miami, a Jason Tatum in Boston, a Giannis Antetokounmpo, even though you can call him maybe a point center, a forward center in some instances in Milwaukee. When you're speaking about uh, DeMar DeRozan, the type of game that he has in the Western Conference, mainly outside of possibly, uh, you know, Steph Curry and such, uh, Donovan Mitchell, uh, Devin Booker and such, the, the biggest threats for the Western Conference for teams that are going up against is going to be the big man when you're speaking about a Nikola Jokic, when you're speaking about that, that type of player. So for the Warriors, Kevin Looney can do nothing against Nikola Jokic. Now, there's very few players, if any, that can do anything concerning Nikola Jokic for uh, Denver. But, you know, you're, you're taking a look at these teams now that are going to get better. You're taking a look at these teams now that are ascending. You're taking a look at these teams now where help is on the way when you're speaking about the Denver Nuggets, the possibility of getting a Jamal Murray, the possibility of Michael Porter Jr. returning. Now, what type of impact, what type of effectiveness can they have moving forward? We won't know until we see them play, but... You know what? Something is better than nothing. And anything that you can give in terms of helping Nikola Jokic, the best big man in the Western Conference, can only improve the chances of Denver getting to where they want to go. Mentioned before about the uh, Dallas Mavericks and Luka Doncic, how well that he's been playing. The fit that him and Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie and... Um, and um, Dorian Finney-Smith, that, that, that team, the team that they've put together... Almost like the type of team that Dallas put together around Dirk Nowitzki when he won his first and only championship with Dallas. The type of team where the Philadelphia 76ers constructed around Allen Iverson. That individual brilliance of a player, if you can't pair him with another all-NBA player, if you can't pair him with a franchise player, if you, if you can't find a Kobe to your Shaq, if you can't find a Paul Gasol, to your Kobe, if you can't find a D Wade to your LeBron James, if you can't find a Kyrie to your LeBron James, if you can't find a Tony Parker or Nani Ginobili to your Tim Duncan, if you can't do those type of things, then you're going to have to do what Toronto did with Kawhi Leonard. You're going to have to do what the Detroit Pistons, or excuse me, what the Dallas Mavericks did with Dirk Nowitzki. You're going to have to do what the Philadelphia 76ers did with Allen Iverson. We have this tremendous, extraordinary generational talent like the Dallas Mavericks have with Luka Dantich. We couldn't find that Robin, that true Robin. We couldn't find that Scottie Pippen for Michael Jordan. We couldn't find that Clyde Drexler for Akeem Olajuwon. So what we're going to have to do is we're just going to have to get some really good role players 
and players that really complement Luka well and let him do his thing and let Luka carry us to a championship. In the way that Luka's been playing now since he lost about 15 to 20 pounds, dropping from 260 pounds all the way down to 240 pounds, Luka is playing now like one of the best players in the league. And despite the fact that Dallas had not advanced in the playoffs to... Um, to uh, conference finals or something like that. You can't blame that on Luka. The series that he had this past uh, playoff series against the uh, LA Clippers was beyond magnificent. We're taking a look at a guy now who's just turned 23 years old. What has the what what has he in store now with a number with another year of experience under his belt as far as the playoffs are concerned? And now he's with a team that he's fully comfortable with and a team that is now based upon his strengths. Now we don't have to worry about getting touches for Christoph Porzingis. Now we don't have to worry about keeping Christoph Porzingis happy because he's no longer with the team anymore. And now this is truly going to be Lucas' team. It's going to be dangerous, man. It's going to be interesting, man. It's going to be very, very interesting moving forward for a team like Golden State who right now is struggling. What's Draymond Green going to do coming back? How much does Draymond Green have to give coming back to guard Luka to uh, do the things that he's going to be doing. Offensively, hey man, you know, the ability for him to think, his intelligence level as far as the basketball player is concerned is, is, is off the charts. So in a situation like that, yeah man, offensively, Clay's going to be able to uh, get better. Steph is going to be able to get better. Otto Porter and Kevin Looney and all those guys from the offensive standpoint are going to be able to get better. But man, I tell you what, the Golden State Warriors better get some things going and they better get some things going very, very quickly or else uh, they're going to be going home and they're going to be going home early in the playoffs. And what a situation would that be? What an interesting situation that would be moving forward in the NBA playoffs, especially in the Western Conference, what that could set up, what that could be moving forward for those teams. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, I'm your host Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Man, I wanted to get the Zion a little bit more in terms of, has anybody seen Zion? Zion! Has anybody seen Zion? My goodness gracious, moving forward. Is that cat ever going to play again, by the way, for New Orleans? Ever? At first, the situation was like, look, man, just, you know, why, why bring him back? You know, let's get him ready for next season. What's going to be happening, man? But, but the way that New Orleans is playing, and the fact that, you know, there's been some beef, there's been some tension, there's been some uh, non-harmonious relationship things going on with him and the organization. The way that they're playing right now, because this was a situation where it was almost like, look, the New Orleans Pelicans had to prove to Zion that he would be a guy who would want to stay. And right now, the way those guys are playing, and look, I'm not saying that they're going to be true contenders for, you know, winning a conference championship or nothing you know, nothing like that but you know the acquisitions and the move that they made in the way that they've been playing man it's going to be more advantageous for Zion to say you know what man I need to go to I need to uh do what I need to do to uh get myself ready to uh play some basketball I'm not in New York not in LA not searching anywhere else I need to find I need to go ahead and uh, re-sign with this team and to help them get on with the get on. Because you're speaking about C.J. McCollum. You're speaking about Brandon Ingram. You're speaking about uh, Jonas Valanciunas. You're speaking about a good young coach. 
in Willie Green. I mean, there's some pieces around there where, you know, you put in in shape the way he played a few years ago, Zion Williamson, you put him into that mix. I mean, this is a situation where going down the road, the New Orleans Pelicans could be real challengers, could be really doing something in terms of being threats in the Western Conference to make some noise. I mean, you could move them up a slot and put them into the same position as the Dallas Mavericks, as the Denver Nuggets, that teams that could uh, really make some noise. Maybe not win championships, but you would have the nucleus, especially with Zion, you would have the nucleus to move forward and really do some things. So if you're Zion and you're sitting there and I don't know how much that man weighs right now. We haven't seen any clips of him doing anything basketball related. We haven't had any real updates in terms of what's going to be happening with Zion moving forward this season. So I'm just interested to see what his deal is going to be because... I mean, we're, we're in a situation where now where, you know, it, it, it might come down to if Zion is going to be this generation's Greg Oden compared to John Morant being the Kevin Durant in terms of some of the biggest busts that ever happened. If you remember long ago when the Portland Trailblazers had the number one pick in the NBA draft and the team in Seattle called the Seattle Supersonics had the number two pick in the draft and... It was a situation of a no-brainer where it was kind of like, you got to take the big man. You got to take the big man. And at that time, Greg Oden was supposed to be the next guy who was going to change the league. And he was going to be the next great center. And he was going to be the next future superstar, MVP, uh, you know, foundation for teams that could win championships and such. And Kevin Durant was a scoring whiz out of Texas. And, you know, the, the, the guy that could get things done and do all these type of things. And... Yes, without question, Kevin Durant was going to be a superstar. Yes, without question, Kevin Durant was going to be a guy who could be, you know, a great player for a team that could win a championship. But conventional wisdom said that you have to draft the big man. You have to draft someone like a Greg Oden. And you saw what Greg Oden did his freshman year at Ohio State with the then Mike Connolly leading Ohio State past Georgetown in the 2007 Final Four game before losing to Florida in the... 2007 NCAA championship game so moving into that draft it was yeah man Kevin Durant is making this a no-brainer but you can't pass up on the big man you can't pass up on the big man and the Portland Trailblazers despite their history of centers not doing well Bill Walton with his foot Sam Bowie with his foot being drafted above Michael Jordan you know despite all of those things despite that history that franchise history the Trailblazers went ahead and drafted Greg Golden anyway, and Seattle went ahead and got themselves a Kevin Durant. History has proven that the Portland Trailblazers should have taken Kevin Durant. Now, you move up to the draft a couple of years ago, it was all about Zion. Zion was going to be this, trend, you know, this, this, this great transformative player that was going to change the game, and he was going to do so many great things, and... There was this kid out in McNeese State, I believe, named John Morant, who was a great highlight reel, but you take a look at that, he was playing against mid-major competition, and he's a point guard, and he's a small guy at 6'2", 6'3", compared to the 6'6", 6'7", 285-pound athletic wonderkin like Zion. Yeah, it might be it might be interesting for New Orleans to draft themselves John Morant, but you know, you go with size, you go with conventional wisdom, you go ahead and you draft yourself Zion Williamson. So 
now we take a look at it a couple of years in, I'm not ready to say that, uh, you know, it's reaching, I'm not saying that it's, it is already at the level of Greg Oden, Kevin Durant, because we don't know that the, the book still hasn't been written on <clears throat> what type of career Zion Williamson is going to have, the type of career that Zion Williamson is going to have in New Orleans. And we really don't know exactly what's going to be happening with John Morant moving forward. He looks great. He looks like a guy who's going to be, you know, one of the best players in the NBA for years to come. But you never know on both sides of the equation. So if you're New Orleans, you're going to be living with that. If you're David Griffin, you're going to be living with that. If you're the Benson family, you're going to be living with that in terms of, man, are we going to go down like the decision makers in Portland where they decided to draft Sam Bowie over Michael Jordan? They decided to draft Greg Oden over Kevin Durant. Are we going to be that guy? Are we going to be that organization, are we going to have that on our resume? So for New Orleans, for the Pelicans, they're going to have to make it work even more. They're going to be even more motivated to, let's just give it one more chance. Let's just give it one more try in terms of re-signing Zion, working with the relationship, working to repair the fractured relationship that he has right now with some folks in the organization. And let's see if we can get the thing to work, because if it doesn't, what does that mean for us moving forward? It means that we have we will be historical failures in terms of the annals of NF, of NBA history. All right, I'm done. I'm out of here. Want to thank everybody for listening to my podcast, Wendell's World of Sports. And remember, as always, man, do what you need to do to make this world, to make your place, to make your space, to make your neighborhood, to make your block, to make your place of employment a better place to be. Can we do that, please? Can we do that by listening to those of a different race, of a different gender, different side of the track, different part of the globe, someone who might have different political affiliation, someone who might love someone differently than you, someone who might worship another God if they worship a God at all. Can we take the time to get to know them? Can we take the time to respect them? And then we can go ahead and pass it along to our kids so they can pass it along to their kids so they can definitely live in a world that we're not living in right now where people are truly judged on who they are as far as human beings are concerned, their moral fiber, their moral character, what's in their heart instead of how much money they have in their bank account, how much privilege that they have, what type of a person that they love, what skin tone they have. <clears throat> can we kind of go ahead and do those type of things in terms of learning about others so we can grow as community, as a nation, as a world? If we could, <clears throat> that would be great. That would be fantastic. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, and I'm out of here. Music. Music.